we just want to spend time soaking ourselves in the word, just spending time in the word. And then if, you know, if, if, if I'm compelled to, I'll do a little bit of teaching in that. But really, our, our primary focus here is to spend time in the word and to read the word and to journey in the reading of the word, just to go through and just expose ourselves to the totality of the scriptures and to posture our heart in such a way so as to hear from God and to hear what God has to say to us concerning us today in our reading of the scripture in the time that we read it. This is a prayerful reading of scripture where we're asking to hear from God. This is our discovery of God as we spend time in the reading of the word. Even though there is a place for Bible study and I can't wait to do Bible study with my patrons on Patreon. And I will be sending you guys obviously an update pretty soon on um, when our next Bible study will be. Uh, I am zeroing in on doing our Bible study in the book of Revelation. So I'm excited about that to do uh, a Revelations Bible study because again, it's one of the most misinterpreted, uh, misunderstood and mystical books in the Bible. But when you kind of decode it and make sense of it, you begin to realize that Revelation isn't what most people say that it is. Um, It isn't the book of you know, the end time code or code of how all things are going to end in the way that people like to think of it, but rather it's a history book. Um, it's a history book that gives revelation of Jesus Christ. And so um, I, I, I want to, you know, spend some time in the reading of that and the study of that to help you understand what revelation is all about. So I'm really excited about that. Um, before I get started with the read and rant, I want to first thank all my, I'm about to put all y'all out, um, but I, I'd like to first thank all my patrons who have uh, committed to supporting what we do here. Um, I can tell you this, that it is your support that's opening doors for me to uh, begin to think and reflect and to vision and to uh, get into a season of ideation where we're going to be putting together content, you know, content that's palatable, that helps people, everyday believers understand the scripture and help everyday believers sit and really meditate and learn how to read and grow in the scriptures and grow in the word. And so, um, I really want to encourage you guys, um, if you haven't yet, if this has been a blessing to you in any way, and you want to commit a little bit deeper into our community, um, I want to encourage you to uh, become a patron. Become a patron, support us. It's a $10 a month support. And it may not seem like a big deal. You be like, oh, it's only $10 a month. It's no big deal. Listen, it is a huge Deal. It is a huge deal to us to see that there's a community of people who are committing to this to help us make what we do here a reality. It helps us build out some of the things we're building out here, and it gives us uh, the possibility of focusing and and for more of our time in this. So I want to thank all my patrons and pretty soon I'm going to be putting you guys out. I'm going to be sending a message to all of you just to make sure you guys are okay with me sharing that, um, that you guys are, uh, uh supporters of, of what we're doing here. So yes, thank you, Purities. Thank you for that. I'm so encouraged by you. Um, so encouraged by you. So we want to get right into it. We want to get started with it. Um, we will be in first Kings chapter three, verse seven, guys, we're almost at 20,000 downloads on the read and rant podcast. It's free. Download it. All of it's there. I know that for those of you who are patrons, you're going to get this particular read and rant available to you today. But for those of you who are here, you know, my regular rhythm, that's not changing at all. You can go and check it out. If, if you, if you want to catch up with our reading, I would encourage you to do that because it's going to give you context to what we're reading here. Cause what we're doing here is reading through the entire scripture. We're reading through the entire Bible. That's what we're doing. And I want to show you how much Bible you can actually get through by just spending 20 to 30 minutes a day. Just 20 to 30 minutes a day. Hey, Michael, violin. I'm glad you're here, man. Super glad you're here. Um, 
you know, hear us out if you if you like. But yeah, the podcast is available on Spotify and it's available on Apple. It's available on Spotify and Apple. So check it out. Uh, but I hope that what's happening in our time together as we've been engaging and reading through the whole Bible is you're finally realizing that maybe what people have been saying about what the Bible says isn't actually what the Bible is saying. And I pray that now you're beginning to realize that this thing is about much more than what people have said it is. And it's about very little of what maybe people have told you that it is when they quote all these Bible verses and they push all this stuff on you. You begin to realize, hold on a second, this is not really what the scripture is about. This is not really what the Bible is about. Um, and so I hope that this is giving you perspective. I hope it's giving you perspective. And, I, and I'm so encouraged by by your words. I'm so encouraged by your donations as well. There's those of you who've been I'm so encouraged by that as well. Also, if you want to get closer, sometimes there's some days where I can't do the read and rant in the morning, um, either because I'm traveling or I'm out of town or wherever it is. Um, I want you guys to go ahead and check my uh, bio because I have a phone number there that you can text that number and you'll be connected to me. And obviously, I'll get your text. I can't respond to all the texts, but... I will try to respond as many texts as I can. Um, but if you get a response, know that it's coming from me. Um, but I do want to connect with you guys in that way. Also, I want to um, be able to use that as a way of sending texts out to all of you. If we ever miss a read and rant or if there's a change in time or if there's an update, maybe I'll just do a random pop-up, random pop-up Bible study or something like that. This is what becoming a patron does is it gives me the possibility. It gives me the, the ability to start really focusing more of my time on that. So we may do pop-up Bible studies. I may do Q and A's. I may have a time where I just do office hours where I'll just pop a link on there or I'll pop a link to the patrons as well but i'll pop a link on there and say hey i can do a one-on-one with you in the next you know uh for the next hour if you want to come on let's talk for a little bit and let's chop it up one-on-one so this is an opportunity for me to connect more with you guys because we have a community that's growing from this and i truly believe that the lord is is really opening your mind i hope he's opening your mind to this so let's get right to it um, if you can, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. And today we're going to read, uh, we may just read two chapters. We'll see where the Lord leads. Uh, we'll read two chapters because I really want to focus 5 through 8 together because that's that's a portion uh, of Scripture that's really powerful that I want to share with you guys. And I probably want to just keep them all together. So anyway, we're going to read 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord to reveal himself in his word. Father, we just ask right now, Lord, that this is not our intelligence. Let it not be our intelligence. Let it not be our insight. Let it not be simply our intellectual facility that gives us the possibility, Lord, to receive what you have for us today. But Father, open up our hearts, open up our spirits to receive from you. Lord, we're asking three questions today. What are you revealing today concerning yourself? What are you revealing today concerning people and lord what are you revealing today concerning me father bless us lord as we hear from you today and we ask that in your name we pray amen and amen first kings chapter three and it says this now solomon made a treaty with pharaoh king of egypt and married Pharaoh's daughter. Then he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. 
Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at the high places because there was no house built for the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burnt incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but I've asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have asked, what you, what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been given in a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Now two women, who were harlots, came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. And the other woman said, no, but the living son is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king and the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king and the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one. 
and half to the other. And the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O Lord, O, O my Lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all of Israel heard the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Elihoreph, my goodness, and Hijah, the son of Shisha, scribes, Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army, Zadok, and Abiathar, the priests, Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers, Zebad, the son of Nathan, the priest, a priest, and the king's friend, Ahishar, over the household, Adoniram, the son of Abda, over the labor force. And Solomon had 12 governors over Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provision for one month of the year. These were the names. Ben-Hur in the mountains of Ephraim, Ben-Decker in Makaz, Shalbim, Beth-Shemesh, and Elon-Beth-Hanan, Ben-Hesed in Araboth to him, belonged to Succo in the land of Hefer, Ben-Abinadab in all the regions of Dor, he had Taphath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife, Baana, the son of Ahilud, and Tanakh, Megiddo, and all Beth Shean, which is beside Zeratan below Jezreel, from Beth Shean to Abel Mahola, as far as the other side of Jokneam. Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead, to him belong the towns of Jair, the son of Manasseh, and Gilead. To him also belong the regions of Agab in Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gate bars. Ahinabad, Ahinadab, the son of Edo in Mahaniam, Ahimaaz in Naphtali. He also took Basmoth, the daughter of Solomon as his wife, Baana, the son of Hashai, Hushai, and Asher and Aloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Parura in Issachar, Shimei the son of Ella in Benjamin, Geber the son of Uri in the land of Gilead, in the country of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. He was the only governor who was in the land. Judah and Israel were numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted foal. Fowl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river of Tifsha, even to Gaza, namely over the kings on his side of the river. 
and he had peace on every side around him and Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree. From Dan, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon, Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon and for all who came to Solomon's table. There was no lack in their supply. They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and steeds, each man according to his charge. And gave and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and the largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus, Solomon's wisdom, Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, and Heman, Chakol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He also spoke of trees from the cedar of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and fish, and men of all nations from all kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom and came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. I'll read chapter five, and then we'll close it. Now Haram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon because he heard that he had anointed him king in a place in place of his father. For Haram had always loved David. Then Solomon sent to Haram, saying, You know how my father David could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the wars which was fought against him on every side. Until the Lord puts his foes under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. And behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on the throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that they cut down the cedars for me from Lebanon, and my servants will be with your servants, and I will pay you wages for your servants according to whatever you say, for you know there is none among us who has skill to cut timber like the Sidonians. So it was, when Haram heard the words of Solomon, that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, for he has given David a wise son over this great people. Then Haram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the message which you have sent me, and I will do all you desire concerning the cedar and cypress logs. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by the sea to the place you indicate to me and will have them broken apart there. Then you shall take them away, and you shall fulfill my desire by giving food for my households. Then Haram gave Solomon cedar and cypress logs according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Haram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, and 20 cores of pressed oil. Thus Solomon gave Haram year by year. So the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Haram and Solomon, and the two, two of them made a treaty together. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of Israel, 
a labor force of 30,000 men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 a month in shifts. They were one month in Lebanon, two months at home. Adoniram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens and 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains, beside the 3,000 hundred from the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the work. And the king commanded them to quarry large stones, costly stones and hewn stones to lay the foundation of the temple. So Solomon's builders, Haram's builders and the Gebelites quarried them and they prepared timber and stones to build the temple. I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to pause right here um, just to share a few thoughts with you all. Good to see everybody here. Um, as you guys know, we spend some time reflecting on what the Lord is speaking to us when we read the word. It's not simply enough for us to get information, but to get a spiritual transmission. And what I mean by that is simply to say that it's not enough for us to just read this and go, okay, I've got the information from what I read, but more importantly, what is the Lord saying to me? I mean, what is he revealing concerning me? What is he revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? This is the priority of our time here. Now, yes, there is space for Bible study and a few things I want to illuminate you to, but I do want to help you understand where we're aligning our hearts when we read this word, when we read the scriptures, especially when we're reading it in the morning. This is the discipline. And you guys have this privilege of eavesdropping into it. I spoke a little bit about this yesterday, and I want to talk a little bit about it today as we're building up to the whole purpose of the book of First Kings. First, let's say this before I even start with that, that uh, First Kings is really, so, so First and Second Kings, they were originally one book. Now, it was split up into two, and you're going to kind of see why they're split up into two, but there's always been a confusion as to why they've been split up the way that uh, they've been split up. It would seem that maybe First Kings should have ended a little earlier, and Second Kings would have started a little earlier, and then, you know, gone through. So th the way that it's been divided, there's been a lot of debate on that theologically about why first Kings and second Kings are divided in the way that they're divided, but they are divided. But when you read first Kings, um, you should be reading it along with second Kings because there's one, uh, thread, there's one story. There's a purpose for that book. When you read the Bible, yes, the Bible, is, the word Bible actually means book. <laughs> it's book or books. And what the Bible is, is a compilation of books. Okay, where each book is wo where, where it's organized in a way like an encyclopedia. So think of a think of the Bible as an encyclopedia, where every book in that encyclopedia is ordered. You ever seen an encyclopedia where it's it's you know A to B, then you know C to D, and then E to F, and then you kind of know how an encyclopedia works, right? And it kind of goes in one line. Or you may read like a study um, like a study volume. And the material study volume is organized in a way from one to the other to lead you through a path of understanding, information, knowledge, 
wisdom, all that. I'm saying that because I want to make sure you understand that the Bible is not necessarily seen as just one. Don't look at the Bible simply as just one book, but the Bible should be seen as a compilation and it's compiled this way for a reason. It's compiled this way to reveal something. Okay. Um, it's compiled in the way that's compiled in order to bring revelation to something. And that's why the last book of the Bible is revelation. I know people say revelations, but the last book of the Bible is revelation because it concludes all the other books before it. Does anybody understand that? So it concludes all the other books. So we're seeing a whole series of books. So this is a, um, this is a, an encyclopedia of sorts where there are many books written in it. So the question then that we should be asking is, why is it written the way that it's written? Why are they ordered the way that they're ordered? And what is the story of each book? Because each book has a point. There's a purpose for each book. There's a, there's a, um, there's a story for each book, right? If Genesis, if, if there was a, you know, the book of Genesis is always kind of intriguing that we call it Genesis because the word Genesis literally means beginning. But the, word, but, but the book of Genesis is not really about the beginning. It's about what was lost, right? It's about what was lost. And so the book of Genesis speaks about what was lost, but then how God now makes a promise. And this promise was made to Abraham. And he makes this promise that he's restoring what was lost. Right. Something was lost. And I know this is going to this is going to thread us into our reading tomorrow. So that's why this is kind of a setup for our reading tomorrow. But something was lost. Right. And so because something was lost, God now is instituting a plan, a mission for how he's going to bring restoration to what was lost. Peace was lost. Shalom was lost. You know, the word peace in the Bible is the word shalom. And the word shalom uh, means um, wholeness. And we think of peace as serenity or tranquility. But what shalom is, is shalom is actually the rightness of the world. Shalom is justice. Shalom is when everything is right in the world. And shalom can only be encountered when earth and heaven finally come into coincidence because heaven is where justice is established. And so the, the distance between heaven and the earth is what leads to all the things that we see that is wrong in the world, injustice, economic equality, inequality, wars, disease, pestilence, all these things happen. And we see the root of that. And what Genesis is telling us is that that was lost. Genesis is about what was lost and how God now has made a promise for what was lost. Exodus, and, and, and that promise is made through a people. Exodus, you know, we, we, we talk about the story of Exodus, meaning the chosen people of God who had left Egypt. The book of Exodus is really about how the promise of God was established on a people and how he gave a covenant. He had a covenant with them, a contract, a promise with them, and that there was a law that was written in order to seal that contract. Does anybody understand that? So this is about how now God is bringing the justice that was lost in Exodus, sorry, in Genesis. He's bringing that justice through a people and that justice that he's bringing, making all things right in the world, he's doing it through a people. 
And so Exodus is about how he brings that law and that these people are making this commitment, this covenant with him. Leviticus is about how they failed over and over again. And yet God now put something else in the law, a stipulation in the law. Leviticus is about the stipulation that was put in the law to give people access back to God when they break God's law. That now God is still instituting his justice because he has his faith. He, he Sorry, he, 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 he has his promise on these people. And because he's instituted this promise on these people, he's running his promise through these people, the thread of humanity, the destiny of humanity, the destiny of the earth, the destiny of the world is through these people. And so God now institutes the atonement, which gives them access back to his presence because the life is in the blood. Now we have Leviticus and we have numbers. Now they go in, now they leave. They finally leave the mountain numbers Then Deuteronomy. They're entering that, that, that generation who was on the journey continued to fail, but now their failure was not just the sin or the breaking of the law, but their failure was in the believing of the promise of God. And because they lacked a belief in the promise of God, then of course, God said that generation can't go in because faith is the currency by which we get access to the promise of God. So if we don't have faith, we don't have access to God's promise. We were talking about this. This is just a quick little journey. And so now we get into numbers and now the new generation comes in and the new generation is, is has by the end of numbers has, has come. And now we have Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the law again. So God is reinstituting this promise with a new generation. So Deuteronomy is how God is reinstituting his promise to these, to the next generation, because the prior generation failed to have faith. So now they then go into this land that was promised to them. And then in the land that was promised to them, they went and subdued that land. Joshua is about how the promise of God has come into fruition, that God remains faithful to his promise, even though people are unfaithful to him. That's what Joshua is really about, how God now is establishing his kingdom and his rule over this particular portion of land to show the world what the justice, notice what I said there, what the justice of God looks like. You, we're the ones who separate righteousness and justice. God does not separate righteousness and justice. It's human beings that somehow find a way to separate righteousness and justice. God does not separate it. That means that where righteousness is, there cannot be poverty, right? When righteousness has fully taken root, when righteousness has fully poured out, there cannot be poverty. There cannot be suffering. Um, there's no addiction. There's no homelessness. There's all these things do not exist. There's no economic inequality where there's justice. So we know that even in this world that we live in, everybody, you know, so, so interesting. I'm sorry if I just take a quick pause, but but everybody knows and has a sense that something isn't right. Right? Everybody. I mean, you can look at the world and know something ain't right. Something's not right with how things are. Right? COVID makes that real for us that something isn't right. Right? We see economic inequality and we we know something isn't right. You know, it's not nothing wrong with being wealthy and rich, and nothing wrong with that. But but we know that something isn't isn't right. It, it, it isn't right. You know, I, I live in downtown Fort Lauderdale, right? And, and um, it's, well, I live near downtown Fort Lauderdale. I'm always in downtown Fort Lauderdale, but I'm always intrigued by, by just the juxtaposition of, you know, the homeless, poor, broken person who's, who, who's, who's, who's got his cup out and is asking for, for money, Right next to a high rise 
that's worth a few million dollars, right? Next to a high rise where every condo in there is at a minimum of $1.5 million. And you look and you see people walk by and just by looking at that, it's not judging the people who have money, you know, um, and it's not judging the guy who's homeless because there may have been a lot of decisions that he made that caused him to be there. But you can just look at it and know something's wrong here. Right. Like you don't have to. Right. You, you don't have to sit there and say, well, you know, I can't believe that person's rich and that person. Look at him. He's homeless. We can point out. We can point at it all day, but we just know something's not right there. Like something's not right there. Right. And, and so and so we have a sense of that. It's in our heart, even for those of us who get to enjoy one side versus the other. We know something isn't right in the world. This is the injustice. Right. And this is what we talk about. We talk about righteousness. No, it's the first the first five letters of righteousness is the word right. Something isn't right. Right. And that's why the word righteousness in the Bible is the same word as justice. There is injustice. And now what the Lord is doing is, is he's he's created this land. And in this land, these people are going to be living in a peculiar in a peculiar way. They're going to be a different people. He calls them to be holy for I am holy. And he's going to show the world what the righteousness of God looks like on the earth. But they fail. Then the judges come in and the judges start off good, but then they decline and they fail and the, and the people continue to fail. And in the end, the Bible says at the end of judges, everybody does what is right in their own eye. There was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in his own mind, in his own eye. Everybody did what was right for themselves. And therein lies the root of injustice. Is everybody hearing me? Therein lies the root of injustice. The root of injustice in the world is where everybody seeks to do what is right in their own eye. My truth versus your truth. My benefit versus your benefit. My welfare versus your welfare. This is actually the root of injustice. That's why there cannot be full justice in capitalism. Because capitalistic ideology is still self-centered. And yet there cannot be justice in socialism. Because socialism is also self-centered. That the justice of God transcends capitalism, communism, socialism, republicanism, democracy, all these things, while we have created them, they're human inventions, but God is establishing a different kingdom. Now we're getting to what I was speaking about yesterday, that God is establishing a kingdom. God is establishing his kingdom. Everything will be right in the world when his kingdom comes. Now, watch this. We get to the end of Samuel. We read first and second Samuel, and now we see we went from Saul, the king that the people chose, to now David, the one who is after God's own heart. And yet David, we see how it ends for David because David is not the king. From him will come the king, but David isn't the king. We end with that that David did not bring justice and he did not bring righteousness. David was a precursor to that. But David, that's so why we, we make David the hero. He's not the hero that we think he is. 
Because the, the, the answer is not in David. David is not the answer, but from David will come the answer. And that's what we anticipated as we were reading through 2 Samuel. That's what 2 Samuel is about, is that there's still the promise of God and it's being fulfilled through David. That's what Ruth was about. Ruth was telling us the lineage of David. We, ha we have the story of Ruth, so we know how Ruth connects. We, we have the story of Ruth. The purpose of the book of Ruth is to say while everything was falling apart, you know, um, God was still working his justice through a lineage. And so what Ruth is, Ruth is the connection between Abraham and David. That's why we have the story of Ruth. Okay. That's why we have the book of Ruth. Notice now this encyclopedia, this encyclopedia. And now we get to Kings. And what first Kings is, is talking now about David wasn't the answer. Now let's look at the succession of Kings that will come after David. And what we're going to learn is, is that this succession of Kings, while there is a thread through them, we're going to learn that every King was leading to the next, but that King himself wasn't the answer. Why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing up this up because we get to Solomon. Solomon is the first successor of David. And we read, we read in first, uh, in first Kings chapter three and first Kings chapter four. I say that to you because this is all important. That's why I always give this background because I want to make sure we see the whole picture. We see the big picture of what's happening here. This is about the kingdom of God. Remember that this is about the kingdom of God and the justice of God. And we know Solomon. Everybody knows about Solomon. Solomon was this wealthy man. If you ever, if this is your first time reading the Bible with me, I'm sorry if I just said it as if you already knew it. Um, but it is a common thing that Christians know about. They know about Solomon. And even people who aren't Christian know about King Solomon or the story of King Solomon because King Solomon was a wise man. You know, King Solomon was wise. He had wisdom. And we know him as a wealthy man. Um, and I think for some of us, some of us also know that Solomon was a man who didn't start off well. If you didn't know before, now you know that Solomon actually didn't start off well. Notice how Solomon first started off. He started off by assassinating and killing all the people who had swerved on David. David had told Solomon, yo, get rid of those guys. And so Solomon did it in obedience to his father's will. But he also did it for the preservation of his life because these guys were conspiring to kill him. And so he ends up killing um, um, Absalom's son, Adonijah, and then he ends up killing Joab and he ends up killing all these guys who used to be allies of David. And now we get to chapter three. Didn't start off well, but then Solomon gets to a place in chapter three where he's ruling. But he gets to, he comes before God in humility. And he comes before God to humility and he says to him, and God comes to him and God gives him a promise. But he gave him that promise succeeding what he came to God with. He says in verse seven, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father, David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. God's about to bless Solomon with a gift beyond value, wisdom. And notice what preceded the wisdom that God is about to give him. What preceded the wisdom that God was about to give him was his humility. 
He came to God saying to God, I'm just a little child. I don't know what I'm doing. I've been given this throne and I don't know what to do with it. I've been given this platform and yet it's, it's way bigger than me. And I don't have the intelligence or the, the resources or the ability and the capacity. Solomon's humility before God attracted God to now the question. What do you want, Solomon? I'm paraphrasing for y'all. Isn't it funny how God will be generous in our humility? There's so many of us who go into the things that God is calling us into. And I've always said this before. If God calls you into something that you feel like you're fully capable of doing on your own, it's probably not a God thing. Let me say that one more time. If you're stepping into something that you feel like you're fully capable of doing on your own, it's probably not a God thing. Because a God thing is going to put you in a place where you feel like it's bigger than you. It's too much for you. You can't handle it. It's that promotion that you feel like is above you. It's getting into that school that you feel like, man, I think I'm, 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 I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room. I may be the dumbest person in the room. It's God putting you in places where you feel like the smallest person in it. It's God putting you in positions where you feel like I don't even deserve to be here. I don't even know how I got here. God has a way of blessing you when you simply submit to walking into stuff that's bigger than you. Because what God wants to do is he wants to show you that anything he does, any success you encounter anything you experience had very little to do with you and had everything to do with him through you he puts you in a place where you have to be continually dependent on him and i came to tell somebody real quick that if you get comfortable where you are you have outgrown it you have limited what god wants to do through you because god won't put you in something that fits within your capacity he's going to give you just enough for you to trust in him and put it just high enough for you to say lord i'm going to need you in this because i feel like a little child how many of us right now are in situations in our lives where we feel like little children how many of us find ourselves in places right now where we feel small and we feel little and we feel like we can't? My goodness, I, you know, this is just me spending time in reflection right now. And I realize even now I'm at a stage in my life family where I'm realizing, man, God, you got me in some things that I feel small in. I'm feeling smaller and smaller and smaller. You're opening up platforms that make me feel small. You're opening up things for me that make me feel small. And I, I sometimes that I'm wrestling with it. My wife knows that she's here and she knows I'm getting these emails and these offers and these things. And I'm, I'm afraid to open emails now. I'm 
afraid to open text. I'm afraid to, 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 to confront these things because the reality is, is I feel like I can't. I feel like I don't have all the information and all the knowledge and I don't have any of that. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about who's going through that exact season in their life where you feel like the Lord is opening doors, but these doors seem bigger than you and they seem more than what you're capable of. This is where Solomon is. Solomon feels like a little child and he says, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. Solomon has been given a platform that he feels like he can't handle. He's like, I don't know how to move through this. I don't know how to navigate through this. I don't have the knowledge. I don't I don't have the information. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. It's because of the weight of the platform that Solomon has the grace to ask for something that only people who are burdened with a calling ask for. When God comes to Solomon and asks Solomon, what do you want? Ask it. What do you want? Solomon doesn't ask for money. He doesn't even ask for health. He doesn't ask for a long life. He doesn't ask for riches. He doesn't ask for any of that. And I know many of us say, wow, that's just the wisdom of Solomon, that he had wisdom before he had wisdom. I remember it was told, somebody had told this to me before that, that it was God had already given Solomon the wisdom to ask for wisdom. I beg to differ. I actually beg to differ. It's not the wisdom of Solomon, but it's the position of Solomon. Solomon is on a platform that, that he needed the wisdom of God. He said, I need, I need wisdom. I need understanding. And notice what he says. He says, I need understanding why. Because money is not going to help me get out of what I'm in right now. This platform is bigger than me. No, 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 no. Money's not going to do it. Long life isn't going to fix what's going on right now. I got a thing in this moment right now. I've got a weight on me. I've got a platform in my hands. I've been given this throne. And right now, I need understanding. God, give me clarity. And notice what he says. He says in verse eight, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may be able to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon knew that my calling is way bigger than this platform and simply bigger than my name, but that I'm an agent of your justice and your righteousness on earth. And I feel like I don't know how to make the right decisions and to judge appropriately. So Lord, he says, give me an understanding heart. Notice he did not ask for intelligence. Ooh. He didn't ask for intelligence. He didn't say, Lord, make me smart enough to lead these people. He said, Lord, give me an understanding heart. 
how many of us have actually asked for that? When God puts us in a place and he gives us a platform and he gives us an opportunity, it might be your business. It might be a new endeavor that you're in. It might be a ministry. It might be whatever it is that God is calling you to. How many of us actually ask for an understanding heart? Or do we ask for God to teach us, how do I run my business? Give me, give me the resources to run my organization. Tell me what words I need to say for this speech I'm about to speak. Not realizing that it is the understanding heart that governs and fuels and inspires your ability to do what you need to do. You want to start that bakery, but do you really care about the community that you bake in? You want to start that hair salon, but do you really care about bringing the glory of God through what you're doing? Do you just want to make money and be successful and have it for you? Or do you want to have the heart of God to judge what is right and what is wrong? Is it, is it, do you want to be used by God through what you're doing? Or do you simply want to do it to say that you're doing it? I hear it for a hairdresser. I hear it for someone who's running a hair salon who says, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm losing seats. And I, I don't know. I, I see someone who's, who's struggling right now and saying, I don't know how long I can keep this hair salon going because I don't have enough people covering the seats in my hair salon and I need to find ways to promote and to promote and to help her. What if I told you that what God wants you to do is begin to pray for an understanding heart? What if I told you that God is saying he, he wants you to have an understanding heart? Because if you have an understanding heart, ooh, that's going to inspire you. And it's going to inspire God to flow through you. Because look what comes after the understanding heart. Then comes the success. Then comes the riches. Then comes, that's the thing, right? We want to produce to be productive. But do we seek to understand, to have wisdom? Because wisdom is not ability. Wisdom is not intelligence. Some of the most intelligent people aren't necessarily the wisest people. And yet some of the wisest people are not necessarily some of the most intelligent people. And yet what true wisdom is able, being able to discern the righteousness of God. To discern what is right and what is wrong. And now we see Solomon who who now shows himself wise. God, he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. And when he asked for wisdom, prosperity came upon the nation. When he asked for wisdom, prosperity came upon the nation. And in verse 29 in chapter 4, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart. There it is, family. We want ability and success, but do we really care? Do we have a largeness of heart or is that what we need to do today? Do we need to go to God and pray and say, God, give me the largeness of heart. I need the largeness of heart because the wisdom of God flows through the not through, through, through the largeness of your heart. Some people say, you know, um, Pastor Isaac, 
you know, you're you you have a wisdom and and I just want a little bit of your wisdom. And I say, I'm a nobody. You know what it is? Is that God slayed me in a, in such a way and, and showered me with his love in such a way that when I love people, he, he just gives me insight and clarity about how to help people get to where they need to go. It doesn't come out of people wanting to know, for people to know who I am. I don't care if you know who I am. As a matter of fact, I like hiding in my little, in my little hole. But for some reason, it's my love of God that gets me on here every day, that has me show up and read to you and, and to share with you. It's the love of God. It's the largeness of heart that makes me want to post every day and post content for you guys and to share content and to help you see that God has more for you and to see the glory of God emanate through you. I want to see, I want to see great things for each and every person who gets on this platform. I want to see God pour out in a powerful way. I want to see people walk in their purpose. I want to see people walk in their calling. I want to see people fulfilled in their marriage and in their calling to know, man, I'm a child of God and I'm being used by God. I want to see people healed and restored and transformed. I want to see all of that. So you know what God does? He gives me wisdom because of it. It's not that I have intelligence. I didn't, I didn't go to wisdom school. I didn't go to study. It was that God slayed me with his love and he increased my heart and he gave me a largeness of heart. And out of this largeness of heart came an understanding because now the largeness of heart came with the heart of God and with the heart of God comes the words that need to be spoken. I can tell you right now, family, there are times where I've shared words with people and I minister to people and I leave there going, man, that was really good. That definitely didn't come from me. Man, that was really good. I don't know how. Man, that was good. Man, wow. That's not you, Isaac. I've had times, there are times even when I share posts where I go, yeah, I, nope, nope, we're not come up with that on my own. Nope, didn't have that information. That information did not come from me. Flesh and blood did not reveal that. It is the largeness of heart. And people say, can you teach me some of your wisdom? And I tell them, you cannot teach wisdom. You can teach information. I can teach Bible, but I can't teach wisdom. Wisdom only comes in your time with intimacy with your father, that your heart would be enlarged. And when God enlarges your heart, he enlarges your territory. When God enlarges your heart, he enlarges your territory. Maybe the reason why your business is stuck right now is because your heart is small. I just feel like the Lord is really pressing this on me today. So I'm just going to keep pressing it into you. Maybe the reason why you're facing, you, you just can't get the right partnerships and the right people on board with you is maybe because your heart is small. Maybe you've got to check your heart again. Go back to your first love. Ask yourself, why are you doing this in the first place? Why did you even do this? Why were you even doing any of this? Why, why did you, why did you open up that salon? That's for that salon. Why did you open it up in the first place? When you opened it up, it wasn't just to make money. That's not why you opened it up. There was something deeper. There was something bigger. There was something more sacred in what God was calling you to do. And God is saying, go back to your first love. Because if you get your love back and your heart opens up again, I will give you the wisdom to discern what is right and wrong. And when I have the wisdom to discern what is right and wrong, then I will trust you with the territory that I'm bringing to you. Solomon felt small. 
God made his heart big. God gave him wisdom. Now God can trust him with the territory. And so God enlarged his kingdom. His kingdom was enlarged. It's in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 24. Sorry, sorry, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. May we pray for that today. May we pray for the largeness of heart. May we pray that for those of us who have our hearts broken, maybe, maybe we've had people who've, who've come against us. Maybe we've been betrayed. Maybe we're dealing with all of that and we closed our hearts not realizing that after that betrayal, we also closed God moving through us and we lack the wisdom and the insight. Maybe we need to come before God small again and say, Lord, make my heart big. Make my heart big for people. Make my heart big for your nation. Make my heart big for your city. Make my heart big for your community. Make it big, Lord. If you make my heart big, Lord, forget the money, forget the promotion, forget the success of the business. Just make my heart big again. Just make my heart big. Give me wisdom. Show me the right thing to do. And I promise God will do that with you. He will give it to you. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Father, make our hearts big again. (laughs) Make our hearts big. Father, we've gotten so stuck, especially in this time where we may have been hurt, we may have been um, betrayed. Lord, make our hearts big again. We, we, We may have lost our vision in what we've been called to do, and maybe we're we're losing insight and clarity, but but make our hearts big again, Father, Lord. Enlarge our hearts, Lord, that we may receive your wisdom and your understanding. Give us wisdom, Lord. Lord, in the in, as we close out the year, Father, I just pray, Lord, as we're praying and and visioning and we're in a season of ideation, Father, make our heart big again. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you all. For those of you who are patrons, thank you. Thank you for your support. It's your support that's going to open doors for the Bible studies that we're doing. It's it's your support that gives me the capacity to transition my energy and my time more on this and to do this. It provides resources for me to um, set up new equipment and put things up and to get things going. It's what helps provide for us as we're transitioning out of full-time work and to spend more work on this and to continue to pour into you. Thank you so much for our patrons. I will be sending you guys a message to see if you guys will allow me to shout you out because I want to shout you out because you may think $10 a month. Some of you are actually giving 20, 30. Um, I I believe there's someone who's giving $50 a month. That is incredible. I want to say thank you so much for that. And all I have to say is this is $10 a month may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big deal. 
it is a big deal to us because we know that through this community and through this family, with your support, we're going to be able to do some incredible things together to see God do some amazingly new things. It's inspiring books. It's inspiring new ideas for what we're doing. So guys, thank you so much. If you want to know how to become a patron, just click the link in the bio. And the first, the first link on that link in the bio is become a patron and just click that. And from there, you'll you'll be guided through how you can support and make that $10 a month commitment and being a patron. And also the bonus to it is that now I'm pushing myself to be able to post the read and rants the same day. I know on the podcast, I can't do it on the podcast. It usually takes a month or so before it kicks in on the podcast. So you'll still get it. If you're not a patron, you're going to still get this read and rant on the read and rant podcast, which is at almost 20,000 downloads, which is amazing. Thank you guys so much for your support and for sharing it. Um, but for those of you who are patrons, it's available right there on the Patreon platform. So you get it right away. So it's available to you. And so, guys, um, I, I want to encourage you, go back, read it, spend some time reflecting on it. But I look forward also to journeying with the patrons um, um, on our Bible study. Um, we're going to be doing more in-depth Bible study. And so it's your support that's providing that. It's your support that's made that possible. It's your support that's giving me the facility to do that. So, guys. Um, you guys are making this possible. So I just want to say thank you guys so much. Love you guys very much. Um, but yeah, regardless of whether you support or not, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. But your support would be greatly appreciated. It means it would mean the world to me. $10 a month would mean a world to me. 